Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, quick crowdfunding message. I'll keep it brief. We're doing well. We've got hundreds of new supporters. Thank you. But we're not getting there. We're not going to hit our goals at the pace that we're going. We're on the back end of the campaign. We don't crowdfund on this show after that. So if you're going to do it, now is the time. And I want to speak to the people, the vast majority of listeners, actually, who have heard me go on and on about this and who, like I think, are listening to Thunder Bay and listening to the amazing new commons and who are reading our investigative reporting and who think highly of us and like our content is a part of your life and you want it to be around, but you just haven't done it yet. And something is blocking you from doing that. I want to speak to you. Guys, I get it. Like, it's weird. It's You don't have to do it. And it's sort of a weird thing to go to some website and enter your credit card and you don't have to give the money away, so why would you? And I just want to say to you people, you're overthinking this. It's really not that big a deal. You can cancel the damn thing at any time. You give us five bucks a month, you don't have to listen to ads anymore. It's kind of a no-brainer. Help us out. Go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Sean Craig. Jesse Brown. Welcome back. Host of Canada Land Shortcuts. Canada Land employee number two or something? I guess, maybe. Yeah. Do uh, you still play the shortcuts music in the studio or is it or am I like we talking never did over that. it now? Yeah. I remembered it being played out loud. So it's it's talking right it's going on right now. It's going on. <laughs> There's music as you speak. Um, Amazing. Yeah, so Sean Craig, a reporter, uh, Canada Land, then National Post. Global. Yeah, global for a minute. And now uh, the logic. All over the place. Good to have you back here. Can't hold a job. Sean, today we're going to talk about shooting Jews. 
they're shooting Jews again, and we need to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the CBC Guide to Getting Rich Quick Off of the Collapse of the Planet. Yay! This episode of Canada and Shortcuts is brought to you by Kendra Imri, Brittany Lynn Koratash, Joshua Kirby, Denny Melanson, Eric Zawadzki, Jeff Gruss, Lisa Ray Edgar, and Brian Kells. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm a lawyer in Ottawa. I support Canada Land because I feel it's important to support and to pay for the journalism that you enjoy. I listen to Canada Land every week, and I'm happy to support the team to continue doing what they do. Sean, this episode of Canada Land is also brought to everybody by sage and brown butter pork chops with roasted broccoli and citrusy potato salad. That sounds really good. It sounds really autumnal. It sounds like what I want to be eating in the fall is sage and brown butter pork chops. Where can I get these sage and brown butter pork chops? It's funny you should ask yeah, yeah. because you, <laughs> I, I want to know. You need only open your front door to get these sage oh. and brown butter pork chops. If you subscribe to HelloFresh, they will send you the sage, the brown butter, the pork chops, the broccoli, the citrusy potato, not the citrusy potato salad, but the citrus and the potatoes, and it'll all be prepared and portioned and sometimes cut up so you could actually make that at home. That is what HelloFresh does. And they they just make it easier to cook at home, which is something that people should really be doing a lot more of and which, you know, people do less and less of these days. So why not try this out and get 50% off of your first box when you visit hellofresh.ca slash podcasts and enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This is one of those instances where the horribleness of reality comes into conflict with the jovial tone of the show. Of course the worst massacre of Jews on American soil, I believe ever took place last week. And I feel like I have some things I need to say about this, Sean, if you'll, if you'll. Please do. I understand we've been kind of getting, there's just a lot of messaging, you know, I stand against anti-Semitism since then. We've been hearing, I stand against hate. I stand against anti-Semitism. It's great to be against hate. I, I think that there's nothing wrong with those messages. I have a mixed response to some of them. When we hear Premier Doug Ford saying that he's standing shoulder to shoulder with the Jewish community when we saw him standing shoulder to shoulder with Faith Goldie, I think three times. Look, everyone is against anti-Semitism. That's fantastic to be against anti-Semitism. By the way, Steve Bannon will be in town debating David Frum here in Toronto on Friday. He didn't want his kids to go to school with a bunch of rich Jews. But everyone's against anti I'm sure Steve Bannon, if you asked him, would tell you that he's against anti-Semitism. You know, we're reading this stuff and we're reading, like, the way it's described, Sean, is what I want to talk about. Like, I'm reading these editorials like the ancient evil of anti-Semitism has reared its head. It's a virus. It's spreading once more. It's all fine to say these things. I just don't know that everyone who's saying them knows what the fuck they're talking about. No, I don't think it's true. I mean, to give a quick, you know, something ancient's not rearing its head. Something ancient has been going on forever. That's why it's ancient. I don't think a lot of Canadians realize that. If you look at the, you know, I mean, the Benai Brith numbers show that like anti-Semitic incidents last year in Canada were over 1,700. That's as high as it's been in a long time. And these stats predate any of this stuff. Uh, you know, StatsCan said in 2016 that the police reported 221 anti-Semitic incidents yeah. across the country. They, when the Toronto police released their annual hate crimes report, the most targeted group is always the Jewish community, followed by the black community, followed by the Muslim community. It is, you know, this is a systemic and long existing problem, right? It, it, this has flared up this issue. Um, but it's, yes, I guess it is an ancient scourge, but it's not an ancient scourge that ever went away. And it's one that has a, there's a trend line of it being inflamed for at least three or four years now. And like measuring those hate crime incidents is one way to try to get some kind of purchase on what it is or how often it's happening. But it doesn't really, that doesn't tell you the slightest tip of the iceberg because 
if you are focused on people scrawling on a wall, I hate Jews, like who's going to say I hate Jews? Like, I don't even think that Richard Spencer would say at this point, if you ask him, do you hate Jews? He probably wouldn't say, yes, I hate Jews. I don't know that David Duke would say I hate Jews. I don't think that any of these like we have to understand what the hell we're talking about when we talk about anti-Semitism. It's not just hatred of Jews. So, like, forgive the pedantic lesson here, but I, I actually am going to take a moment to explain this because it's not just hatred. Anti-Semitism is like, it's a story. You know, it's a story that keeps getting told. It's a belief. I'm not going to call it an ideology because that's giving it too much profundity. This is a story that a lot of people believe is true. And that story goes like this. Jews are stateless internationalist, globalist influencers of the world. They're the unseen hand. And they have an undue influence over banking, politics, and media all of which are just tools that they manipulate to further their agenda. And Jews blend in, they disguise themselves, they look just like other people, like you and me. They present as Democrats or Republicans, Americans, Canadians. They used to look just like Germans. But they owe no allegiance or loyalty to any party or country. They have an agenda, and that agenda is to you know, secretly hoard money and power and to destabilize Western societies and to destabilize white people specifically. They help black people because they want to dilute the white race and they want violence between whites and blacks. They help refugees and immigrants and even Islamic terrorists counterintuitively for similar reasons. They want to create a huge mess. They want to create chaos. So Jews are the power behind the throne in countless institutions. And George Soros is currently their biggest financier and puppeteer. And one of the Jews' big initiatives is to fill America with dangerous refugees who are right now are heading up in caravans. So these Jews are powerful and they suppress speech about them. So you got to use code words when you fight Jews. You got to call them something other than Jews because they're too powerful. They'll stop you from saying things against you. So, you, so, you know, they've been called rootless cosmopolitans. They've been called communists. That was a code word for Jews. They've been called internationalists. These days we call them globalists and we have to expose them and resist them. That's the story. That is anti-Semitism. That is what a lot of people believe is true. So when Trump blasts the globalists and the liberal media that is furthering the globalist agenda, or when Doug Ford's government goes on about illegal border crossers coming into our country and he says, this mess was 100% because the federal liberal government, those statements are part of anti-Semitism. They are compatible they fuel and justify anti-Semitism. I don't know, Sean, and I don't care if Doug Ford or Donald Trump hate Jews. Uh, I'm sure they don't. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. They're furthering anti-Semitism, and there's a direct line from those words out of their mouth to a target on my chest. Do you think there is in the case of Doug Ford, though? Because Doug Ford has made a few rhetorical errors. He, he made those really crass remarks about his Jewish doctor, his Jewish... Uh, lawyer, his Jewish accountant. I think he said ago. his wife is Jewish. Yeah, he claimed his wife is Jewish, that she had Jewish bloodlines. But he's also been quite steadfast in supporting a lot of Jewish causes. He pledged to get rid of Al-Quds Day at Queens Park because he said that, uh, you know, during this year, people had called for the eradication of Zionists, the destruction of Israel. He threatened to withhold pride funding if queers against Israeli apartheid kept being a part of the parade. He, you know, the PCs have historically, and he is, they're critical of the BDS movement. And, and, his, and his party has massive support from the Jewish community. They cleaned yeah. up in Eglinton Lawrence and Thornhill and York Center and Willowdale. Right. He, you know, that party and his this particular campaign was incredibly popular with the Jewish community. So I don't, what is yes, the evidentiary so? basis? That, so you think Doug Ford is signaling, I mean, of course, yeah, posing with Faith Goldie is awful. Let me be very clear. I do not think that Doug Ford is secretly a Jew-hating anti-Semite who is signaling his allegiance through cloaked statements. Mm. I'm very explicit about my language here. I think that the things that he says are compatible with anti-Semitism. I think that, yes, he says other things, 
about his solidarity with Jewish people and his support for these things. And I think that the way that that is interpreted by anti-Semites is there's a bunch of stuff that Doug Ford has to say because Jews are powerful. And there's a bunch of stuff that Donald Trump has to say because Jews are powerful. And the way that he says them in this kind of perfunctory, like when, when a bunch of Jews get killed, he says, I stand shoulder to shoulder with Jews. He says it in a certain way, just like Donald Trump when he has to, you know, Doug Ford has to disavow Faith Goldie at a certain point under great duress. Donald Trump has to, at some point, say that Charlottesville was, was not, not so great. But then he throws in, there are some very fine people there screaming, the Jews will not replace us. By the way, what does that mean, the Jews will not replace us? It doesn't mean that the Jews are going to replace those dudes. That is an anti-Semitic philosophy that, that those guys are going to be replaced by migrants and immigrants who the Jews place in America. That's, so what is being communicated, it doesn't matter the intent. It is compatible with a belief system. It's supporting that belief system. It is a part of anti-Semitism. And we got to get over this idea that it's really important to decry them as a hateful person or them as part of some kind of organized campaign. That's not the point. The point is that this is all of a piece. And the words that come out when Donald Trump targets journalists and targets the media and then talks about globalists, that is being received very clearly, you know? And I am a Jew and I am a journalist. And so I think that there's a, a reluctance on the part of journalists, and I'm hearing it, you know, in this room to use such strong language, especially when you're talking about elected leaders, because it makes us seem like we are biased and in the tank. Sean, I am in the tank with not getting shot. I am completely biased on the side of not getting shot. It's more, I would say, I'm more worried about, for example, Maxime Bernier's People's Party, right, which has explicitly catered to right-wing online meme culture, which does absolutely signal anti-Semitism. I'm a little more concerned about Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party, which said to boot like a dozen candidates because of racial and homophobic views, you know, and that's been dealing with alt-right militia members showing up at his events. I don't know. And that's why I'd wonder, I'd put that question to you then. Why then does Doug Ford maintain this relative support of popularity in a certain, you know, a large segment of the Jewish community? Why does Ezra Levant, who is a Jew, say the things that he does? Right. Yes. Speaking of which... Ezra, like an hour ago, sent out an email, the headline that the media is ignoring the Pittsburgh, quote, Jewish leaders, unquote, ties to Soros. All right, so who are these Jewish leaders? I'm curious because I read the news and because I'm Jewish. And I know that sometimes Jewish leaders are more liberal leaders who happen to be Jews. So let's check. Let's go to the website. Remember, it's a group called Bend the Ark. Here's their website. It's a George Soros-backed left-wing group. So I'm asking, what is the, how do you distinguish the clear and present danger of something like what Ezra has done, which that's terrifying. That's that's clearly a inducement to alt-right nutjobs to not believe in the Jewishness of these. Oh, well, it's not to, not to believe in their Jewishness. Believe that they are an other. Believe that they are outcasts that you could openly discriminate against, right? They're Jewish leaders in quotations. How do you thread that to Doug Ford? Well, I think I just did. I'm not saying that they're the same thing. I'm saying that they're telling the same story. And again, I don't think that there's some secret meeting where Doug Ford and Ezra Levant, hmm. uh, actually, you've, you've done a pretty good job of, of charting some of the connections. It's not a coincidence that Ezra Levant and Faith Goldie work together. It's not a coincidence that Doug Ford is friendly to, like, it's not a, a coincidence that Hamish Marshall, there's a reason why these people swim in the same pools. It's not because they go to a secret clubhouse and smoke cigars and talk about rubbing out the Jews. It's that they are all adherents in various capacities to the same philosophy. And some of that is an explicit attack on the Jews, and some of it is an implicit critique of liberal, internationalist, uh, pro-refugee philosophy. You know, you, you don't have to hate Jews to be participating in anti-Semitism. That's the point that I'm trying to make. And I'm getting tired of this dumb game where who me is the response and 
oh, that's terrible. I, I tweeted something about how Donald Trump's words about the caravan were directly linked to the guy who walked into the synagogue with a gun was really afraid of this caravan. So how do I thread these things? How do I thread that to Doug Ford talking about the mess that these illegal migrants are making? How do I thread that? Because it's fucking obvious. Sean, we're going to duly note things and we need to pick me up. Do you have something uh, a little bit lighter for us today? I do. I found out yesterday, which I'd like to flag for everyone, that the everyone that's listening to the show, that the government of Nova Scotia is spending $278,403 to fund a television series called Redneck Psychic, which stars a woman named Kelly Muse, who's a spiritual reader. So I think she's based in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. I encourage everyone to Google Redneck Psychic to check out the trailer. It is, have you ever seen Kroll Show? Do you remember do you remember the sketch Ghost Bouncers where like he had this Italian Gino character, Bobby Bottle Service? He would I remember go, Bobby yeah, Bottle he would, Service. Yeah, he would go into a haunted house and he would bounce ghosts out. Um, this is all, it, like this looks, it's real, but it looks like it exists in the Kroll Show universe. In what way There's is it a scene real? Where, I, it appears to be real. Well, it's real. The funniest part about it is that every scare, like ghost scene, in the trailer at least, is incredibly low stakes. They appear to spot a ghost in a hospital that, like, where all the lights are on and there are just people working in the background. And, like, some guy yells because he thinks he saw something in an elevator. And then they cut to another scene where she's holding some kind of reader over an old refrigerator. And then she says, like, my reader's getting something. And she opens it up and there's just, like, a frozen dead rat in there. And that's it. Which, like, finding a frozen dead rat is, as someone who's from the East Coast is not, a, like, an uncommon thing in redneck country. So it's, it's like, the most benign, amazing thing I've ever seen. Um, I'd encourage everyone to look up the trailer, get the YouTube URL, tweet at Catherine Tate, the new president of the CBC, who just joined Twitter. Make her feel welcome. Tell the CBC to pick up Redneck Psychic. That's what I would I will do that later. Retweet me. Let me be clear about something here, We're going to get Catherine Tate to pick up Redneck Psychic. This is what we're going to do. This is going to be the end of the Canada Land fundraising campaign. We just did a good for Canada Land. We raised all this money to do Thunder Bay and do Jaren's investigations. Now we're going to get Redneck Psychic on the CBC. I'm really confused, Sean, because when you blast how much money is being spent from taxpayers for this project, it sounds like you're saying that's a bad thing. No, that's the, that's the selling point, Cat- Catherine. Catherine Tate's listen, Catherine, this is already paid for. $278,000 of Nova Scotia money. All it's, The checks are written. All you have to do is syndicate Redneck Psychic. Redneck Psychic, duly noted. I'm going to duly note the 20th birthday of the National oh, Post, yeah, yeah. you know, where you used to work. We're better for having more newspapers. It's better to have more newspapers than less newspapers. And the National Post uh, has at times been a really good newspaper, certainly the best looking newspaper. So anyhow, they had their big birthday and um, and they dedicated a whole section and, and as well they should to fond reminiscences of the early glory days of the National Post. And it was fun to read that stuff. I had a couple of observations that I'm going to duly note. One is that like, it did not read like a birthday party. It read like a fucking wake. It was very funereal. It was like like everyone wrote an obit. There was very little. A couple of the pieces ended with like, and here's to the next 20 years. But it was it was very clear that the glory days were behind us in the way that even the people who are most fond of the paper expressed themselves, which kind of leads me to the, my second point, which is I remember I was just kind of getting out of university and they hired a, a bunch of people from the McGill Daily to come edit and, and work at the Post. And there was just so much money involved. And I remember the atmosphere of the Post in those days, which was, I think, 
about projecting this idea of an urbane and stylish, satirical conservatism. Mm -hmm. That in the face of this kind of tight-assed Toronto liberalism of the Globe and Mail, this sort of establishment center-left liberalism, here were these truth-telling, witty people. Yeah, very much modeled after the sort of urbane, city-dwelling British conservative media. And at its best, I'll, I'll hand it over, at its best, there was good reading there, and it was a good counterbalance to uh, some of the staid stuff coming out of the Globe and Mail. And so that was sort of an aesthetic effort as much as it was anything else. And what I kind of felt reading all of this stuff this past weekend is, looking back at the last 20 years, just what a spectacular failure that vision was to the extent that it was trying to kind of forecast and reflect conservatism. Conservatism was heading in a completely opposite path from that kind of thoughtful and smart and sophisticated track that the National Post was hoping. It was like, it was almost like a beautiful wish that things could be that way. And reality is just like, if they had gone the entire opposite way, that paper might be in a lot better shape today. I disagree, but duly noted. Sean, you got one last one? I will quickly mention that the Toronto Sun published a syndicated anti-vaccine column, just a scaremongering column about, you know, getting your kids vaccines, which you should do. And if you don't do, you're a nut. And taken by itself, this wouldn't have been a big deal. In fact, the Sun pulled it down. But it aligns with a pattern now that we've seen in the last six months where the Sun has published this anti-vaxxer column. It published that Candace Malcolm column, which confused voter registration cards with voter ID cards and thus, you know, scaremonger that all these illegal immigrants are trying to sign up to vote, and, you know, in this evil conspiracy. It follows the, you know, the Sue Ann Levy column where she used the TripAdvisor review claiming that goats were slaughtered in a refugee hotel room, which is completely not true. The Sun has not corrected either one of those articles in their place. It follows Sue Ann Levy claiming that Danforth shooting was, you know, that mass shootings don't happen in Florida, but they're happening here in Toronto. That was not true. At least they corrected that. <laughs> it follows Sue Ann Levy claiming this week that Adrian Clarkson doesn't live anywhere near a proposed homeless shelter that she lives 700 meters away from. It follows, you know, Joe Warmington going online about Faith Goldie on Twitter. You guys had a story about how The Sun, you know, a few months ago had an editorial roadmap to basically being a propaganda outlet for the progressive conservatives during an election. I haven't seen the editorial standards of a newspaper, even a tabloid like The Sun deteriorate so precipitously in a period as The Sun has in six months. And I was at the National Post 20th birthday party on Saturday where a lot of posties and post media people were. And there was a Sun person there. And a lot of people looked at them, uh, you know, and said, what are they doing? Adrian Boucher was there. And yeah. I think everyone in post media, and I, I know Adrian and she's lovely. And she's I think everyone lovely. was like, what the hell are you doing? She's and wonderful. Why? She's incredibly smart. And why I don't, that's why I don't understand. the question that I can't figure out the answer to. But I'll say this, that litany that you just uh, actually very impressively recalled every abhorrent story. Is the anti-vax article the first one that the Sun has actually pulled? I know they corrected some stuff. I think that might be the first one. My question is- I think so, yes. Have we finally found their bottom? Because there's nothing- I don't nothing... think so because it was a syndicated column. It was a lot easier for they them They pulled to it and they that. apologized, which they have yeah. not done for any of those other things. Yes. So- And I didn't even mention like the goat column. A week later, somebody went to that hotel and tried to hurt people there. Yes. It, like, they tried it, to set off a fireball. Yeah, like it was an inducement to violence that potentially worked. But maybe like it's the first indication we have that they will pull an article- yeah, right. If it's a syndicated so, columnist, I guess. Yeah. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. 
And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Sean, we're going to talk about that CBC News article about Brazil. Um, I think everyone's seen this. Maybe some people haven't. Maybe you don't remember. Here's the context. Brazil has a new awful president-elect, and the CBC ran a story about how that means ka-ching, ka-ching, super awesome business opportunities for Canadians investing in Brazil. And I think that like a lot of the focus was on the tweet of that news story, which kept getting changed. I'll read some of the different tweets. First initial tweet, CBC News alerts. Brazil's new president-elect, Jair Bolsonaro, is a right-winger who leans towards more open markets. This could mean fresh opportunities for Canadian companies looking to invest in the resource-rich country. So, blasted on, on Twitter. Okay, okay, we'll try again. Critics have lambasted the former paratrooper for his homophobic, racist, and misogynist statements. But his government could open new investment opportunities. Not much better. Blasted. Complete. Okay, sorry. Can we try again? CBC News alerts. Tweets. Updated. Brazil's new president-elect, Jair Bolsonaro, is set to put his country on a new course. The right-winger promised big changes, including curtailing crime and getting tough on leftists. So where does that leave Canadian investments in Brazil? Question mark. And uh, no, not much better. The next day, um, the same Twitter account announces, yeah, this isn't a breaking news alert, but we felt it was important to address here. This is an editor's blog from Paul Hamilton, the director of journalistic standards and practices for CBC News. Links to um, a note from Paul Hamilton, basically one of these sort of apology, non-apologies, like... You know, social media took this out of context or kind of it, it all got blown out of proportion, I think he was saying. But really, the mistake is on our part. We never should have put this article out as a news story when it was an analysis piece and it should never have been tweeted from the news account. So, you know, it's a technical error. That's the only thing here. And that was not met with much fonder reception than any of the other messages around this. And Jay Rosen, press think, big media brain from the States, blasted the CBC. I think they missed the point of why people were outraged about this. Sean, uh, 
Were you watching this unfold? I did and didn't. I mean, you can be outraged for a number of reasons. I think you can be outraged, one, because the analysis itself, I don't think, was particularly great. Just speaking as, you know, Bolsonaro is part of a clique of populist you know, leaders who have come up. And investing with these people is actually a high-risk strategy. And it was kind of like left out of this article. We've heard this time and time again. But what leaders like Bolsonaro, Trump, Duduerte, Orban, Erdogan, what they share in common is that they have a readiness to risk huge instability by undermining domestic and international institutions. They, you know, they're willing to attack them. And you know, the point is, these guys aren't wedded to any ideological framework. They're almost agnostic politically. That's why Trump shifts like a shark on issues. That's why Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro is only a convert to economic liberalism in the last two or three years. And that's just because he brought on an economic advisor from the University of Chicago and Paulo Guedes, who he's the guy who got the business people on side. But you look at the record of these governments and like under Duduerte in the Philippines, inflation problems have been out of control. Inflation was six and a half percent in the last quarter. The central bank had to put its highest rate up in like a decade. Uh, growth is stalled there. The currency is being devalued the weakest it's been in 13 years. Under Erdogan, we've heard in the last two months, like Turkey had basically a crazy conservative policy of borrowing tons of money, keeping interest rates really artificially low and cutting, and cutting taxes. But uh, no, but this is media because now the Turkish lira has collapsed. Now the Turkish economy is in dark straits. These are the right wing populists that we're talking about. And they articulate this kind of yes. strongman economic vision. And we take that at face value. Right. We, which is part of a media problem. Right. We, we pretend that, oh, you know, they must be economically virtuous. This presents an economic opportunity because they say these things. But people like Donald Trump, people like Viktor Orban, people like, you know, Jair Bolsonaro, they are liars. And that is a fundamental uh, risk to investment, a fundamental risk to economies. And it's been proven like time and time again. Oh, I again. see what you're doing. You're saying that if- even I'm saying this, I'm saying the analysis itself was kind of saying weak. Even if you are going to look at these thugs through a purely an economic analysis, a true economic analysis would point to their the destabilizing effect they're having on global economies. Yes. So you could still maintain- I mean, Trump himself has rattled stock markets okay, by going- I see what you're doing. He's you, been you, gone you, to you war with China. Do, You've seen like yeah. people have been retreating to defensive stocks because all the like high growth tech stocks have been having problems in the last few months because Donald Trump is screaming at China and markets don't know what the hell is going to go on there. Okay. It's, I think that's interesting. I think you're saying that you could still do the job of business journalism, of giving people the economic news they need to, to know to make their sound investment uh, yeah, decisions. Yeah, I, I think Jair Bolsonaro is not the kind of person that you take at face value. It's like, oh, he's going to do all these great things. This would be great for business. I think that's uh, a very- his record, uh... his record demonstrates that that's not a particularly effective way of looking at him. So okay. I'm just saying as a business reporter, I found the analysis wanting. And then, yes, as somebody who's a- We can get on the other problem, which is what Jay Rosen raised as- if you're talking about the CBC itself, the CBC has a civic mandate. The CBC's job is to report for you and me. It's not supposed to be a stock market tip sheet. Uh, it does, right. it, that's not part of its fundamental obligation to Canadians. So the and that was what most people were angry about online, which I, I can understand that. They're saying, what's the virtue of this being published by the CBC? Yeah. How does this accord or fit in with your news division? It doesn't okay. re doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Um, and also this guy, you know, is called for like murdering gay sons. Like, and, you know, and, and, and has told women that he thought they were so ugly, he wouldn't rape them. And he he's lionized the Brazilian dictatorship, which he served in the military of from 1977 to 85, I think. It's, it's all, you know, these are horrible things. And he wants to destroy the Amazon. But he might not be able to do that because he, like Trump and all these guys, articulates these wild anti-institutional uh, like tirades that are almost guaranteed to never come to fruition, right? Like you can't take these people at face value, these populist leaders, right? They are 
massively economically disruptive forces that aren't predictive because they don't have any fixed political ideology. Their ideology is to attack institutions in order to garner the support from their nut job supporters. Let's let's get back to the piece itself, the story itself. And I, you know, you, you, look, you hit on everything that I want to I want to talk about. Um, I think that in defending the piece on the basis of it being a categorization error, right, an analysis. Yeah. The, oh, if this had been analysis, it would have been okay. Completely misses the point about what people were outraged about. And it's not the way that the article was presented. The tweets were actually an accurate reflection of the article. I'll, mm-hmm. read, I'll read from the article. It ends with, with nearly 60% of the world's public mining companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, losses for the Amazon rainforest under Bolsonaro could spell big gains for Canadian investors. So the tweets were an accurate presentation of the article. It is the kind of comical amorality of this piece that people found disgusting. Nobody gives a shit what category CBC put it in. People were like, CBC, why are you presenting horrible shit in the world as an investment opportunity? And that's what Jay Rosen picked up on. And that's what you're talking about as well, is that that is not our expectation of the CBC. And there's a conflict there because there are people who are business reporters at CBC who day in, day out are supposed to be giving you good economic information and stock tips and analysis of businesses. You bring up that you could do that job without endorsing this regime or or presenting it as an opportunity. That might be true in this case. It might not. I do think there's an interesting conversation about where the job of business journalism might butt up against morality. I think that there are occasions where giving people good, solid analysis about business opportunities might be amoral and and encouraging people to do things that – or to take part in things that there is an ethical problem with. Sometimes I think business journalism might be at odds with that and specifically in the CBC that brings up more cases like this to come. I think in the CBC in particular, for, you know, report on business, the Financial Post, the publication I work at, people, our subscribers pay us for intelligence, right? Investment intelligence. We have institutional subscribers. We have corporate subscribers. We're private companies, right? They it wouldn't be okay if you that. did it either. It would be fine. I mean, it wouldn't be okay. Not really. It would I mean, be okay, it, it, yeah. but I mean, it's not like we don't have a public service mandate is what I'm saying. It's worse when they do it. And it, it is worse when they do it. Can I just like, as a complete aside here, I want to like alternate universe analysis of this. Is it possible? This is the scenario that played out in my head as I was reading this piece. Like, look at this. Losses for the Amazon rainforest could spell big gains for Canadian investors. So I have this whole scenario where the author of this piece, Chris Arsenault, wrote this as a piece of Swiftian satire under duress. Right. Like if you like read this with that lens, it totally works. If you imagine that Chris Arsenal was like, really, you're going to force me to write a piece of business analysis about this fucking despot. Okay. Big wins for Canada with the election of this despot. And the piece totally works. If you think of it that way, I would like to imagine he's defended the piece on Twitter. That's not what happened at all. No, I just just would like to think that was a reporter in Latin America for a while. So he has experience in the market. And he did. He said he agreed with the CBC's post. Yeah, that they handled it. It should have been analysis. Yeah, it was. Uh, If they put it in the right bucket, it would have been great. Um, I think we're seeing story after story from last week when we talked about the CBC not even bothering to cover municipal campaigns on CBC television here in Ontario. What the CBC thinks the CBC is is not what the public wants the CBC to be. And I don't know how we get that message across to them. Like every story where they look ridiculous kind of boils down to that of them just like misunderstanding their role in our society. And I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, every few years there's like some big research project where Canadians are asked what they think of the CBC. And like even within the results of that, like the priorities that the public tells the CBC, news is always the first one. You know, it's never Murdoch mysteries. But somehow there's this disconnect where they just do not understand that we don't want to read business articles about investment opportunities that stem from the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. No. And I didn't learn anything about Brazil necessarily in that piece. 
because Brazil itself is, you know, the reason that they've elected this guy is because it's in a difficult economic position. It has like 12 percent unemployment. Its debt to GDP ratios are huge. Um, and it's been just like savaged by commodity markets collapsing because it has tons of iron ore and sugar and stuff like that. I, and if I was a layman reading this article, I didn't really learn that. And <laughs> so I didn't learn anything about Brazilian economics. Right. I, I just learned stuff about what like some Canadian firm might do. And when you have a civic mandate to like represent citizens, I don't know how a Canadian citizen reading that article got anything especially valuable. Your point is, if you take the CBC's investment advice, you could lose your shirt in Brazil, people. Pretty much. All right, Sean, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Thank you for co-hosting it with me. People can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Sean, where can people find you? Uh, they don't have to find me. They can find the president of the CBC, Catherine Tate. Her Twitter handle is presidentcbcrc. Please tweet at her telling the CBC to pick up Redneck Psychic. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Check it out. I want to thank a podcast called The Minds of Madness. That is a true crime show that is helping us spread the word about our true crime show, Thunder Bay. You might want to check out their show as well, The Minds of Madness. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. And once again... We need your support at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.